Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all sorts of information regarding wellness, positive psychology, my own particular spin on it, which I call goal-achieving psychology of rejuvenating and all other kinds of things related to wellness. As you may know, if you've been a listener to this podcast for quite a while, or even if it's been a little while, we hope that uh, you're aware of the fact we always have interesting guests who lead their own lives enthusiastically and have different ways of showing us how to lead our lives in the most enthusiastic and effective way to become the best versions of ourselves. And today's guest is... No exception. We have a real special guest, and I'm so proud to welcome Kristen McDermott, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she also has a private practice and a decade of research into resilience, which is something that we all really need to to have more of. Her resilience training programs have been validated in four studies with researchers from Duke Clinical Research Institute. It's been published in peer-reviewed journals and proven to improve key mental health and resilience outcomes, including reducing anxiety, depression, distress, self-efficacy, and PTSD. Pretty much covers it all. Uh, (laughs) Kristen has designed resilience training programs for some of the highest performing people on the planet, including Navy SEALs and the Los Angeles Police Department. So those of us mere mortals should really be able to gain from this. Her programs have been used in more than 20 hospitals across the country, including the Duke Cancer Institute and National Institutes of Health. She has designed programs for schools, corporations, and nonprofits that support at-risk kids through mentoring. Kristen is the author of It Takes Two Minutes to Shift Your Mindset and Build Resilience, a book that breaks resilience down into bite-sized skills you can apply to your life immediately. So right after this show, we should be able to all be much more resilient, utilizing the principles that we'll learn. She's recently uh, launched two online courses for parents one called Resilience-Based Parenting, and the other called Parenting Through Divorce. So we're really, really thrilled to have you with us, Kristen. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Really looking forward to what you have to teach us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, let's get started then. First of all, let me start by asking a simpler question. We talk about it all the time, but what is resilience? Well, I love that you asked that question because I, when I ask people that, I feel like the answer that I get most often is perseverance, just white knuckling it and having the strength and endurance to just get through whatever it is. 
And my definition is probably in line with yours as a positive psychology psychologist and health coach, which is mine is that you can actually use very, very difficult times to learn about yourself and grow and come out the other side feeling like a stronger, happier version of yourself. What do you think of that? Yeah, that makes makes a whole lot of sense and <laughs> makes me even more interested in hearing what you have to say. Well, uh, I was going to say it dovetails into the question that you started to answer, which is how I got interested in it. And so, I mean, I was just a marriage and family therapist. I had young kids. I was going to have a private practice. I lived in Colorado and just have a simple life and a simple career. And I got invited to actually help someone in a hospital in Colorado with a cancer support group. And I thought, you know, I am just not sure that cancer is my calling. That sounds really depressing. That just sounds really hard. I'm, I'm just not sure that's my thing. And But I said yes, because I'm the kind of person that I typically say yes. <laughs> and it ended up taking my life on this most meaningful trajectory tra- change, and particularly my career. And so What ended up happening, I spent over 10 years working in an oncology department, and I became really curious. Why did some of these families, so meaning the people who had cancer and their families, why were some of them really resilient, even though cancer was so destructive and terrifying in so many ways in their lives, they came through it in a way that seemed like it was It hadn't destroyed them, whereas other people really, really had a difficult time. And so I became really curious, is there something these people knew about resilience that we could learn and then teach others? And so thus began this 10 years of research and resilience that I never in a million years thought I would do when I got my degree to be a marriage and family therapist. So that's fascinating. But what you learn? What what makes people resilient? Well, I learned a bunch of things, but one of them is, you know, a lot of times when you hear about resilience, you hear people's inspiring stories, but that doesn't necessarily mean you walk away knowing how to apply that to your life. And so it sort of relates to what was going on in cancer is that these people, they weren't signing up for a long-term therapy relationship with me. They got me, whether they wanted me or not, when they were stuck, hooked up to that infusion for four to six hours, you know, once or once a week or so. And so what they wanted, they wanted skills. They wanted skills that they could learn right away and apply to their life to help them with the things like, you know, communicating and making decisions and quieting the chatter in their minds so they could think or sleep, taking care of themselves. So The main theme for me is breaking it down for people into bite-sized skills that people can learn so that it's very specific and not kind of a general thing. But then if you want to get into, you know, my model and what those skills are, there's a lot. I'm happy to talk about that now if you want or if there's another way in. Sure. I believe it's actually... uh now acquired your name. Am I correct? Is that the McDermott method? (laughs) Yeah. So I think of it kind of as three levels, the way I think of what we need to have resilience. So one is self-awareness. People need to have self-awareness about their unique personal strengths, their unique personal (laughs) needs and values, and their beliefs. Because if you think about it, right, resilience is about 
finding a way to look at what's in your control and feel better. So you need to understand what strengths you can pull on, but also what are your unique needs? What do you need to take care of yourself and feel like you have quality in your life, which is very similar to values, right? People who live in alignment with their values feel better about themselves and their lives. And so then all that ties into beliefs. You know, one of the things that I remember in cancer specifically is chemotherapy. You know, people who had a belief that chemotherapy is poison had a lot more anxiety and negative emotions than people who believed, well, chemotherapy is kind of a miracle of modern medicine and it could probably help me. So I'm not saying which belief is right or wrong. It's just pointing out that beliefs matter because they they impact how people feel when they're trying to be resilient. So that's one level, but I can, I mean, I don't want to, <laughs> I want to give you some air if you want to <laughs> ask a question in there. Yeah, I guess, well, number one, I, I'm really, really interested because the areas in which I've worked are ones in which I've seen, again, two categories of people. I mean, I've been in the headache field for a long time. Mm. And since headache is a disorder that people can get better from, in most cases, we're not dealing with organic involvement or that, you know, some structural damage like a herniated disc. And then the other area where I've turned more of my attention recently is on, is on active aging and trying to work on the difference between the people who are running out the clock and people who are actually thriving during this time. So this is so interesting to me. But actually, before I go there, when, when we talk about self-awareness and all that, I've been in the hospital. I mean, I'm in there all the time because that's where I work. But I've been in there once as a patient with a back pain that they eventually found out was related to a bacterial infection. But I remember getting into a position and just saying, geez, if I could just stay like this for a long time, you know, why is somebody coming in and telling me I got to move? So I got to be on this side and so on. So I remember being self-aware of the fact that this isn't really good, but how do you get past the fact that, you know, somebody with cancer, for example, where there's a legitimate reason to not want to change. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself or whether that's in the self-awareness area. How do we break into the fact that, hey, we may be self-aware, but geez, it's, you know, if I just don't do anything for a while, it's better than if I do something and hurt more. I mean, if I'm understanding the question correctly, I think you're hitting on a really important point, which is you have to be in the mind space of wanting, like seeking relief, right? To do kind of any of this work. And I found actually in all those years of cancer and all that research that, you know, when people were in the thick of the either crisis point where it was in the beginning or when it was like in the in the treatment phase where there were so many people taking care of them. There were doctors and nurses and then there were friends and, you know, there were support groups and people bringing food. There wasn't a lot of mind space for this self-reflection or self-awareness. So when you have me walking into the room, we make space for that. But most a lot of people don't have that. And so what we realized in the cancer world was the place where people actually reached out to us was when they were discharged either from the hospital or from their chemo treatment or radiation. 
And they were kind of set back into the world and told, okay, you don't have to think about your cancer for a little while. Go back to your life. And it's like, wait, what do you mean? My life is not, I don't know, even know what that means. And I feel really alone because now everyone's kind of like, you don't have to think about cancer anymore. And so that's when people would reach out. So I'm just saying that when you're watching someone you love, for example, you can't necessarily get that horse that you've led to the water to drink. You know, it's a very personal thing when we're ready. Okay. So when the person is ready, what's kind of the next step that you do? I mean, it really depends on if someone's, you know, in my practice, but like I would, I mean, it's, these are those self-awareness things are pretty easy conversations, you know, to ask people, well, so, I mean, what are your strengths? Like, what do you, what do you think are your personal strengths and how aligned is your life to your strengths? Because that's something that that's a kind of an easy way. Cause you know, when we use our strengths, we feel better and strengths aren't, don't necessarily have to be the things that people typically think of, you know, people think of the hard strengths like courage and perseverance and discipline, but strengths can be the things that just come easy to you that, you know, maybe you're good with people or you make people laugh or you're good with puzzles. You know, it can be, it doesn't it, the point is to feel good while doing it and feel good about yourself while doing it. So those conversations about needs, strengths, needs is interesting. When you ask people what needs are not getting met in your life right now and where is there some action you could take to get, you know, I've a lot of people live life putting their needs behind a lot of other people's needs, right? And maybe for very good reason, that's a choice. But the needs conversations are a little more difficult, typically, to get people to come to the place where, oh, wait, so prioritizing my needs in my own life is actually not selfish. It's a really important thing if I'm going to be resilient, which means come through this feeling better. What do you think of the needs conversations? Yeah, that's really interesting. So what does resilience look like then with the cancer patient? How do you know whether whether you've achieved what you're achieving? How is that measurable? Well, so one of the things we did, we got this really big grant from the Livestrong Foundation. And by this point, we had created an online version of our program. It started out as a one-on-one, you know, kind of therapy version. And then we created a small online group version, which this is like 12 years ago. So we were way ahead of our time. Back then, no one was coming to online classes to learn things like resilience. But the reason I bring that up is because, so we had a 10-week program. And so on the last one was a graduation. And so we invited people who had participated in the program to bring someone, anyone, a friend, a parent, a caregiver, to celebrate their graduation with them. And we wanted to hear, like, was it meaningful to them? Did it work? What was it that worked? And um, I mean, I hate to say this because it sounds like too much when I say it, but you could hear it in the graduation recordings often, is that people said to us that the self-reflection and the self-awareness they gained, really, while they would never wish cancer on themselves or anyone they felt like their lives were better because their lives were now more aligned with, again, their strengths and their needs and their beliefs and what mattered to them and what gave their lives meaning. I mean, if nothing else, you get in touch with what gives your life meaning and then you take action to live in alignment with that when you have cancer. This is so fantastic. It just sounds like having meaning, a sense of purpose, Time is such a uh, general thing that goes beyond 
I don't want to say just cancer patients, but uh, you know, I know that it had a major impact on cancer patients, but I know that you've taken your thinking other places too, including the the notion of raising a resilient child. And I'm wondering, certainly as given your background as a family therapist, I'm sure that that plays into it, but for the parents or like myself, the grandparents out there uh, who are interested in seeing their kids, grandkids grow up with appreciating their their strengths and being able to confront issues and be resilient. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up because it was never about cancer. It was always just about resilience. And so I was eager to try it in different populations. And my passion really now is young adults and parenting, you know, helping teach these skills early. And so, you know, what I just talked about was self-awareness, but there's this whole other level of skills that people need to be resilient. And so maybe second most important one I'll say is emotional intelligence. You know, if you're going to try to be resilient in the way I define it, which is that you're going to feel better having come through something difficult, then you need to have an understanding of your own emotions and what causes them and then how they impact you and where you can do something to choose your own response to your emotions and take care of yourself. And so that, along with the the third thing I will say, which is if there's one thing I would tell parents to teach their kids, it's to trust their own inner wisdom. Or I mean, people say gut feeling, whatever you want to call it. I use the word inner wisdom. So There are plenty of other skills involved, including like interpersonal skills, you know, knowing how to listen well and how to resolve conflict and mind body skills, you know, so it's not just always about cognitive stuff. But if you just take away helping kids understand that these um, their emotions are not just these mysterious things that come out of nowhere and they're at the mercy of that they can actually understand what's causing that emotion. Oh, I've got, this is what's going on in my head. This is what I'm thinking about. This is what's really causing it. So this is how I can take care of myself about it. Then they suddenly have some control. And if you can couple that with getting kids to realize that that little voice, that little feeling they have in their body about who feels good, who feels trustworthy, who feels safe, who feels a little edgy or what situation, like you kind of know there's a warning bell going off and you might do well to pay attention to that. When you can get them to tune into that, they have some really powerful skills for navigating life. It makes so much sense. And yet I can imagine some parents listening and saying, but I don't want my kids to make a dumb mistake by listening to their gut or their inner wisdom. Uh, Is there some check on that? Or do we just kind of say, hey, you know, if you make a mistake, you learn from it. I mean, it's such a great question because the thing that the way we do all our parenting programs is we do it with conversation starters. We want parents to kind of get out of the idea that you got to call your kid in for the talk and they got to sit across the table from you and look you in the eye and talk about something really uncomfortable. We want to give parents tools for starting a lot of short, small, not necessarily very controversial or confrontational conversations so that you can use conversations to understand how your kid is thinking and model what you how you think about things, get to know your kid, let them know that you hear them. And so 
the inner wisdom thing is a great example of, yeah, people don't necessarily know what's their inner wisdom or what's just some thought process gone awry, you know, like it's something that you need to practice. And so probably the overarching thing that I'm always trying to teach in parenting is to raise kids who have self-efficacy. So kids who know that they can actually have the outcomes they want in their lives. Even if there's something challenging, they believe that there's enough in their control that they can take responsibility for how they're showing up in the world and the outcomes in their lives. And so it's going to, yes, like you said, involve some mistakes and hopefully some conversations. So you can be the one who helps your child figure out, okay, so wait, was that my inner wisdom or was that like something I was rationalizing because I wanted to be cool or, you know, whatever that is. It's a process. That's great. I, I'm looking at the fact that you also have an online course called Parenting Through Divorce. What specific concerns? I can do some guesswork on it, but from a resilience educator and and researcher, what specific things do you emphasize relative to parents who have gone through divorce and are raising kids? I mean, yeah, I feel like that's the most important question with divorcing parents is, will my kids be okay? And so the conversation thing is huge. You want to learn the skills to be able to have conversations with your kids. So you know when they're thinking something that, you know, blaming themselves for something or thinking something that is, it doesn't quite align. Or, you know, sometimes what happens with very well-meaning parents is that they actually are doing the opposite of nurturing their kids' inner wisdom. So let's say that you have a parent who is really angry, maybe, at the other person. And, but they don't want to bring their kid into that, which is totally understandable but they're not being truthful about the emotional undercurrent of the household. And so, you know, kids can feel, they can feel when their parent is really upset about something, but if they're hearing, no, no, it's fine. It's all good. They, they're either thinking, okay, so they're not thinking this is probably not a conscious thing, but so wait, is this thing I'm feeling not really true or is my parent not telling me the truth? So, I'm not saying you have to share everything with your kids. Absolutely not. But being honest about the emotions that you're feeling is a really great way to help nurture your child's inner wisdom. And, you know, it's a conversation that will serve them better to say, you know, yeah, I really I am really upset about this. I'm actually even angry, but it's not something that I want to talk about right now. But I'm working on it. Here's what I'm doing to take care of myself. I'm trying to eat better, you know, whatever it is, just to model for your child how you're actually trying to get through this very difficult time instead of pretending like it's not that difficult. Okay, great advice. Uh, I hope I'm not asking an embarrassing question now, but as a parent yourself, how hard or easy was it for you to use your principles in, in raising your own kids? I guess I just naturally was the kind of parent who I want my kids as early as often as possible. I wanted my kids to take responsibility for themselves. I didn't want to have to be the one who called and advocated on their behalf. I would, but only after if they were, you know, even in middle school, if they were old enough to try at first to advocate for themselves, I wanted them to try that. And so the whole raising kids with self-efficacy, that's just comes natural to me. But I will tell you that I've had all three of my children who are, two of them are adults now, one of them is 15, 
thank me over the years many times when they saw parents who were really, really, really controlling and their friends who were really just in resistance mode, they thanked me for like treating them like people who were capable of at least being in the conversation. Now I'm the boss. I didn't abdicate my responsibility as parent, but I would seek their opinions about things and listen to them even if I ultimately disagreed. Congratulations on living the way that that you teach others. I know in our field, it's not always uh, the way that it happens. So again, you should be real proud of yourself. I'd like to ask about the other end of the the age scale, because I I have a certain number of patients who are older adults, and I've written about them and so on. I'm wondering about the person who, say, reaches their 60s and maybe some things have beaten them down along the way. They didn't get the job promotions that they may have wanted. The marriage may be less than ideal. Uh, It may have ended. Health may not be the greatest. And yet there's a reasonable chance that they'll, they'll live another two or three decades. And I hate to think that they can look at themselves at this point and say, hey, this is as good as as it's going to get. So what advice might you have for them to build resilience in someone who isn't a young child, but who has a history of, again, there's probably a better word than beaten down, but who has had discouragements over time that that don't necessarily promote resilience? I mean, a couple of things come to mind. One is oh, if you could just reach out and find someone like me. I mean, maybe people don't want therapy, but it's like, if you have someone asking you the right questions, if you're even, maybe not even that, maybe it's even just books. It's like the person who seeks it, there's so much there for people. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's it's the same stuff though. It's the thing that we talked about before. It's the meaning. It's the, well, what does give your life meaning? And where do you just find joy? You know, is it painting? Is it hanging out with your grandchildren? Is it gardening? It doesn't matter what it is, but I feel like people sometimes stop asking themselves those same questions like you said. Well, is this all there is? Because it feels so big to reach for something else. And I don't think it has to be big. It can be small, but just actual action steps, actual things you can do that you're thinking, you know, I'm just doing this for me. I'm just doing this for to have this hour of this day that feel that's fun. Like, where's the fun? For me, a lot of fun comes from projects. But I found during the pandemic that the people who sunk their minds into something, whether it was writing the book they always wanted to write or whatever it was, you know, they did a lot better with that time component because they had something to focus on and it got them enthusiastic, to use your word. Yeah, this is such great advice. And really, the point that you're making, small steps in the right direction really puts you into momentum to be moving in the right direction. I think that, uh, yeah, we may be comparing it against, say, such monumental things as education or career or marriage or things of this nature, and sometimes just looking at what can we control and move forward. So I'm really impressed with this advice. Something that intrigues me is the title of your book. (laughs) It takes two minutes, two minutes to shift your mindset and build resilience. I don't know. I haven't uh, found in working with mindset, which I think is is tremendously important. I 
can't recall shifting anybody's mindset in two minutes. So I'm waiting for the to hear about the magic bullet in this regard. Okay. So when I decided to write this book, I originally thought it would be a coffee table book because I have just learned over the years that I love to read, but not everyone wants to read a big book with a lot of words in it. You know, people, it's like bite size now. If you're going to catch someone on the phone, you got to do it with the swipe of a thumb and all that. And so, and because everything I do is in skills anyway, it led itself to this idea of one skill at a time and a compelling photograph on the other facing page. And it turned out to be a paperback book because people said they wanted to carry it around. So literally you can open it to any page and there's one skill you can read and you can read it in less than two minutes. And there's a photograph that just kind of makes you think it's related. And then there's a question. So this one that I happen to turn to is accept support. And I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but the concept is, you know, a lot of people don't think it's okay to accept support. In fact, we have this belief that we should be able to do everything on our own. And if we can't, then we must be weak or needy. But we all need support at different times in our lives. So that's a resilient skill. Support is one of the biggest things you can do for yourself to be resilient. And so it ends with a question. What is one thing you could allow someone to help you with? So that's my point. It's like, you already know that, right? I didn't just invent something that people don't know, but taken together, these individual skills really do make up a resilient mindset. We just forget. We forget to do them, I think. And it's nice to be reminded, you know, well, here's another one, forgive yourself. So that's how you do it in two minutes, but it takes more than one, two minute. Okay. That's great though. And, uh, So it sounds like you've moved from uh, researcher to giving practical advice, which can be so helpful to so many people, which leads me to the question of uh, what do you do nowadays? How do you spend your time and uh, how do you get the word out about, about yourself? Well, I love my private practice because I just love one-on-one helping people. It just, it's what gives my life meaning besides being a mom. I love that too. So I do that part-time and then my brain just works in curricula. I just like to build curricula to try to get these skills out to different groups of people. So we're doing the parenting one now. And that is, like I said, always trying to make things bite-sized and that fit in people's lives. So that one is audio, little audio lessons, less than 10 minutes. You get one skill a week. It comes in your inbox and you can be walking the dog or doing errands in your car You don't have to stop what you're doing to listen and you just get the skill. And then a couple days later, you get a worksheet you could do with your kids. And a couple days later, if you liked it, you get a resource you could read. Super simple. So those are the parenting ones. And then um, I just have a bunch more in development. I have some specifically aimed at young people. I have some specifically named aimed at couples. So I'm just trying to figure out how to get this out to people so that they will actually use it and make it affordable. Because I love therapy, but therapy is a long-term, relatively expensive proposition. And I think people can actually feel better right away, in a way, if I can just get skills out to them. Okay, so as we draw the session to a close after it being much too short for all you've got to contribute, (laughs) but how do people find you then, both online and if... 
And where are you uh, in case somebody is in a position to seek out private practice with you? I am in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. I lived in Los Angeles for the last 20 years, but I moved to Florida in July. Mm. And the best place to reach me is online at McDermott Method. It's M-A-C, but you're going to put it in the thing. M-A-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T method.com or KristenMcDermott.com for more of the private practice stuff. I also do, weirdly, I love conflict resolution. And so I do corporate conflict resolution too, which is just kind of fun because most people hate conflict. Mm-hmm. And there's you can go in and really help people and get out pretty quickly. <laughs> so this is companies would then hire yeah. you to, to deal with that? Yeah. Okay, great. Well, so, I mean, your versatility is really, uh, really admirable and obviously helps to make the world a better place because everything that you're doing, the conflict resolution, the resilience, the healthy parenting, things of that nature, just, you know, all adds up to making the world a better place. And uh, if it's a better place, it's pretty hard not to be enthusiastic moving forward. So I just wonder if there's anything that I really should have asked you, but didn't that give us any more of a flavor of things I've really, uh, think you've done a terrific job of presenting your program and your concepts, but I, if there's something that, you know, there's one it's like thing. I, okay, good. Cause I usually ask an embarrassing question and, and ask a dumb one or omit to ask what should have been asked. <laughs> so this is your chance to correct me. No, it's just the, when we were talking about aging and just, you know, like one little small step, I cannot tell you how many times in my private practice, the first step that someone makes is usually a big step because it's walking into my office. It's a really big step to call someone and then show up for therapy. But I cannot tell you how just that first step unlocks just so many other, it like change, changes someone's life, just that first little step. So it doesn't matter how old you are or how kind of mired in not feeling great you are. It's just that first step. And it's like somehow the universe conspires to build momentum on it. I've just seen that so many times. So just like take that one first step. So good. I'm glad I asked the question because I do think that's so critical. As long as that first step is forward, then I think it's yeah. really, <laughs> yeah. really, really great advice. This has been a gold mine of advice. So many interesting things and so many educational things from this session. Kristen, thanks so much for being with us. Really, you've been a, a tremendous guest for us. Thank you and, so much for having me again. I appreciate it. Sure. And so this has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically every day of your life. Please visit our website, Mental Health Gym, which is where you can pick up lots of other information about positive psychology, wellness, goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and you can also give suggestions for future podcast guests. We've picked up a lot of helpful information today from Kristen. It's up to us now to use it and to make the world a better place. And I hope that all of you will listen to the podcast, download it, subscribe, rate it, do and tell your friends about it and be back next week for another interesting guest to help you become the best version of yourself. And until then, we're still in the pandemic. So stay safe, take care of yourselves 
and keep learning and keep up the enthusiasm. Take care now.